0: Spoilers ahead.
1: Hi there, boys and girls, adventurers and adventurettes. Welcome to Max Mike Movies, brought to you by Flambay's tooth whitening powder made with real cocaine. Your kids won't (laughs) stop brushing their teeth ever! (laughs) When last we left our intrepid heroes, they were deep in the gulch of When We Was Kids, a series highlighting the movies that left a mark on our vibrantly valiant vocalists when they were youngsters. And Sister Mary Irving, are they in a dilly of a pickle this week? With my choice of 1965's The Great Race, a Blake Edward Screwball comedy with thrills, chills, and stars galore. I'm your chiseled chin protagonist, Max Lefty Levine, and with me as always is my goofy but plucky comedy relief, Mike Palooka Loose. Join us for... A- Join us for episode 83 of our Serial, already in progress. Um, I, oh, Thank you. I, I thank do you. have to give you applause for that performance.
0: I only have to point out one problem. This What's is episode that? 84. Damn it! <laughs> Are you sure? Man, I gotta say, that was a hell of an opening, and you managed to get it all out perfectly. So, hey, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to congratulate Max on this, you can write us at us at maxmicmovies.com. Yep, yep.
1: Use the, using the subject line, Max is awesome. Mike stinks. <laughs> Plus, yes, you can also, of course, check out our uh, our vast back catalog of apparently eighty three other episodes yeah. on uh, our website at MaxMikeMovies.com. You can check us out on the podcast app of your choice, as long as you choose only the appropriate government sponsored tax bill approved apps. The Google Podcast app and the Apple iTunes app. You need no other. How about Spotify? No. Okay. Well, maybe. Yes. You can also <laughs> find us on Spotify and run the social medias on uh, Facebook and Twitter at Max Mike Movies. We haven't got. We don't have an Instagram feed yet because why? I because I'm too lazy. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be bothered. This is this is a voice only podcast. What are we going to show pictures of?
0: Uh, um, the the movie poster. Uh huh. Hey, then we could get taken down and get notoriety. <laughs> oh, noto- notoriety, notoriety. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, blah blah blah, Ginger. Blah blah blah. Eighty three episodes. Uh, yeah, that's so, Max. I want you to do the entire episode in that. Uh, Mid-Atlantic accent
1: You're, You want me to try to do my bad Walter Winchell impression The whole way through? Well, Please. it would it would make the episode go a lot faster Because it's like I'm talking at uh, About 1.5 normal speed Yes, I do
0: <laughs> Well, <And> so <laughs> Does Mr. and Mr. America flash at sea? Newsflash! <laughs> right. That sort of thing Anyway, No, no not going to happen I will hurt myself Ah, and others will hurt you and, too. But yeah. first, you yeah, have for... some
1: stuff to do for us, don't you? Yes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Trivial nonsense.
0: The show.
1: As I say, the Great Race, 1965 movie. Uh, this was directed by Blake Edwards. Also written by Blake Edwards. Sort of. It was his idea. Arthur Ross uh, wrote the wrote the script. This Arthur Ross, we know from a writer from the Red Skelton Hour, and more importantly. The brilliant screen crafter of *Creature from the Black Lagoon*. Ooh! Hey, yes. real quick
0: for folks who probably don't know, who is Blake Edwards? What is he best known for?
1: Best known for he is the director of the Pink Panther movies. Oh! He, he also did other screwball stuff like *The Cheap Detective*. Which, by the way, is very hard to find. So Peter Falk, uh, basically a parody of all of every Humphrey Bogart movie, pretty much ever. And if you can see it. You know that would be a good one for us to do at some point except it I can't find it anywhere. Wow. Yeah. I vaguely remember it. I remember it being really funny. I have this sinking feeling that it will not hold up.
0: Well, but maybe at this, some point we
1: will do that. Hey, if any of you remembered or if any of you seen it, well, let us know. Maybe let us know if you think it's worth doing. I am betting that's a big fat no. <laughs> probably probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, this movie The Great Race uh, which, sorry, it also stars Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, and, and Natalie I Wish I Could Swim Wood. Oh, uh, I too know, soon. I, I'm a bad person. <laughs> it's only been, what, 50 <laughs> years? <laughs> too soon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It, uh, the year it was made, it, it, Blake Edwards intended the film to be a tribute to the old silent movies, both the dramatic and the comedic. The film itself, it's dedicated in the opening, you see a dedication to Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy, which is odd as I didn't think they made silent movies. I thought they were all talkies, but... Maybe and they're were. well
0: known for their dramas. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: the movie's budget was $12 million. It made about $25 million. So a success, but not a thundering one. Twelve million for nineteen sixty-five. That's a yes. lot of money. Yeah, that's... you're see. Yeah, you're seeing that money up on the screen though. With the locations and with the actors. None of those people at that time were cheap. Yeah, that, that, that's like bond money. Uh, it also G- ginger money. Ginger money. Ginger money. <laughs> ginger money. <laughs> it was nominated for five Oscars. Really? Yeah, the only one it won was for best sound effects.
0: Uh, ah,
1: yeah. yes. <laughs> yes which... <laughs> Other, yeah, apparently the best live-action approximation of a Bugs Bunny cartoon sound effects. Yeah. The other, the others were cinematography, sound, film editing, and oddly enough, best original song for that great hit we all remember, The Sweetheart Tree. Ah. None of you remember this song, I will almost guarantee that. I don't. Yeah. But... I watched the movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chris Lemon, the eight of Chris Lemons, oh, son of son of actor Jack Lemon, who plays Professor Fate. We'll get to that. Said in an interview that uh, he thinks that Lemon's role in this movie is his father's finest. And Jack Jack Lemon said he got more mail about his character Professor Fate than any other character he ever played. I
0: can see some reasons for that. Yeah, sure. Now, this is not to, to demote any of Jack Lemmon's performances because he is a fine, dramatic actor. But he, uh, without giving too much away, he lets loose on this one. He's he's pretty much palpitating this film.
1: He has so much fun. You can tell he is enjoying himself. And he plays two different characters, and he goes over the top with both of them. We'll get to yes, that. Yes, he does. Yes, we'll he get does. to that. There is a famous, comparatively, scene uh, where they are all on an ice floe. And uh, this was shot on Warner Brothers Soundstage 16, which was the biggest, tallest soundstage on the Warner lot. In the original days, it was called Stage Seven. Uh, however, they weren't as careful with some of it. If you watch closely at the water surrounding the actors and the cars on the ice slab, you can see a bunch of reflections from the ice and the stage's catwalk. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, yeah, it was usually they used this to film like tall masted ships and. Uh, Castles and such large things is what you're saying now there there was some uh difficulty among the actors. I don't think I mean Lemon and Curtis, I think, got along because they they had worked together in things like uh, some like it hot, okay, but uh, like Jack Warner asked Tony Curtis if he would give a percentage of his film royalties to Natalie Wood to entice her to do the movie. She didn't want to do the movie, and Curtis refused. He said, "I couldn't give her anything to make her want to do the movie." They huh. had worked... Curtis and Wood had worked on a couple of films before and developed a um, less than stellar relationship, huh? Uh, the production budget swung wildly out of control. As I said, this thing cost twelve million. It was supposed to cost six. Oh, that it, is wildly out of control. Yeah. Pity because at six, it would have been a huge hit. Oh yeah, this film. At twelve million dollars, became the most expensive comedy ever made up to that point. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the, f- the running time on this movie is a hundred and sixty minutes. It's two yes. hours forty minutes. It is, I think, still the longest comedy ever made. It certainly felt that. Oh, well, that's that's skipping ahead. Uh, originally, the uh, <laughs> the the role of the great Leslie Tony Curtis's part was offered to. That comic genius, Charlton Heston.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, he certainly
1: would have played it straight, that's oh, yeah, for sure. That oh, yeah, that would have been something. He, he Apparently he thought it was a funny script, but he turned it down because of the production scheduled for The Agony and the Ecstasy in 1965. Well, now wait, he said he thought it was a funny script. How would he
0: know? The man has no sense of humor. Now,
1: that's not true. I assume. Oh, he um, was really f- <laughs> he was really funny in Planet of the Apes. Whoo, what a well, hoot. Yeah, yeah. Charlton Heston is not really known for his wacky hijinks. <laughs> Soylent and green. Yeah. Oh, and he, I'm w- sure he, he did, did some Westerns, he did have I a think. bit he had a bit part in Wayne's World. Or the second one. Uh, okay. Yeah. There is a massive pie fight. You know, about the last 2 thirds of the show. That is the largest pie fight ever ever filmed. It lasts four minutes it took five days to shoot. It's the longest pie fighting sequence in history. They used real pies. By the way, that was not just the old trick of spraying a whipped cream into a, a aluminum pan. Uh, the cast used to eat them during filming. <laughs> However, during a weekend break in filming the pies spoiled. Oops. And the stink was so bad, they had to completely clean the building and uh, use huge fans to blow the bad air out. So now, wait, are you saying that pies were hurt in the filming of this movie? Pie- and actually, so were some of the actors. Oh. Oh, yeah. The ca- At first, it was apparently really fun filming the pie fight, but they had to do it over and over again, and it got wearisome and dangerous. Natalie Wood got hit in the face, right in the open mouth, and started choking on a pie, and... Jack Lemmon was actually knocked unconscious at least twice. He was quoted as saying, a pie hitting you in the face feels like a ton of cement. (laughs) And at the end of shooting, when Blake Edwards finally called cut, everyone on set began throwing hundreds of pies at him. They had hidden them and they were waiting for that
0: moment. So, what you're saying is, in the future, please use stunt pies. Yeah,
1: yeah. Pies should <laughs> now, not be now, harmed.
0: Mm-hmm. Is this scene uh, bigger than, would you say, than the scene in the final uh, season of The Brady Bunch when they recreate <laughs> a um, silent movie with I think Cousin so. Oliver, the uh, herald of all things that are to <laughs> all end? Do- oh,
1: the, Cousin <laughs> Oliver, the
0: Doombringer? Yes. No, I was about to say the <laughs> same thing. Cousin <laughs> Oliver, Robbie Wrist, Doombringer. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Because uh, he. he Ended a number of shows. I can think of three. The Brady Bunch, yeah. uh, Mary Tyler Moore, oh, right. and Galactica 1980. Although, to be fair, he was there from the beginning, so that one was doomed to start. Oh, he
1: was in that? Was he Dr. Z- Zed or?
0: Dr. Z. Yes, Dr. he was. Z. Okay.
1: Yes, he was. Hey, Robbie yes. wrist fans. Now, yeah. Yeah. Natalie Wood's character, Maggie Dubois, has a total of 19 wardrobe changes, which includes the military jacket over the pink and white corset set. Ah, Uh, Henry Mancini did the music for this, and he has a medley called The Great Race March, which plays over and over again, and it's kind of a long musical joke. It's entirely made up of snippets of American patriotic songs, like Star-Spangled Banner, the main melody, Hail to the Chief, Columbia Gem of the Ocean, Dixie, America the Beautiful, and You're a Grand Old Flag. Hmm. Now, it's never actually stated, but we know that this movie takes place between 1901 and 1909, because that's a period Theodore Roosevelt was president, and Maggie Dubois, at one point during her capture in Potsdorf, which we'll get to, you know, invokes his name. President Roosevelt will hear of this. Well, we you know it has to be before 1920, just because that's when women got the vote, and that's a... Right, that's a amazing. major part. Well, it's a plot point. Yeah, uh, Natalie Wood didn't apparently did not like making this film, and she'd seize on any excuse to miss a day's filming. Her main complaint was the fact that she felt she was being sexually harassed by both Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Great. Yeah, it's a little hard to believe it, Tony Curtis, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, hey, Jamie <laughs> Lee had to come from somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Tony Curtis plays. The great Leslie. The, his full name is Les. Apparently, I, it doesn't say this anywhere, but apparently, it's in the shooting script. Leslie Gallant the Does he? Yeah. Now, <laughs> I like this is a little bit of trivia, uh, very trivial. They end up at one point in the town of Boracho, uh, in Texas. I assume, although they're never clear. Could be New Mexico. Could be Arizona. To to get fuel. The mayor of Boracho, who greets them, is Hal Smith. The Spanish word "baracho" means drunkard, and Hal Smith ended up playing one of the most famous TV drunks, Otis, on The Andy (laughs) Griffith Show. God. Yeah, that was in 1960. Uh, The entire Potsdorf sequence, including the dueling scene between Leslie and the Baron, is a takeoff from various versions of The Prisoner of Zenda, where a prince about to be crowned is kidnapped and replaced by an imposter, which is what happens in this sequence. Yeah, sort of <laughs> uh, During the opening sequence The torpedo that, prof- that Professor Fate u- oh, Sorry, when they're using a torpedo Professor Fate uses a spyglass While Max, who is played by Peter Falk Uses binoculars This is kind of a hidden sight gag Because by this time Peter Falk only had one eye <laughs> He had a glass now- eye and He's the one using the binoculars
0: Now, now, now real quick uh, Are you trying to tell me that you yourself are being played by Peter Falk.
1: Yes. I, at this very moment am played yeah. by Peter Falk in a role that will surprise you. I'm surprised. Hey, i are going to back up real
0: quick. Uh, for those who don't know, Henry Mancini, Max was talking about his medley, probably best known for the pink Panther theme. That is his biggest, big, big, doo-dum,
1: bigness. Doo-dum, doo-dum, doo-dum. Yep. Yeah. Dead ant, dead ant, dead ant, dead Yeah. Uh, da-dun, 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 da-dun. <laughs> yeah. uh during the scene in Barracho we run into the rootin' tootin' varmint Texas Jack, played by Larry Storch, who is, in addition to being, of course, Corporal Agarn on F-Troop and uh, Spencer on the original Ghostbusters show, uh, also voiced Commissioner Dreyfus in the Inspector cartoons, which were based on Blake Edwards' Pink Panther series. He also was Professor Whoopi in uh,
0: Tennessee Tuxedo. Oh, that was his voice. Oh, I didn't hear that. (laughs) I didn't either. I was like,
1: wait, who's Larry's? He's who? (laughs) And then Whoopi! Phineas J. Whoopi, you're a genius yeah not Larry Storage <laughs> The film was also the inspiration for the Saturday morning cartoon The Wacky Races in 1968 oh, yes. with Dick Dastardly and Muttley as Professor Fate and Max Penelope Pitstop was sort of based on Maggie Dubois and Peter Ooh. Perfect being based on the Great Leslie Ah we're back
0: in 1968
1: Yep, ah! yep. So there's a ton of other stuff but uh, we should get on to the plot
0: Yes by all oh, by all means Max I would like you to toss Don't stack
1: this (laughs) plot for our listeners. See how I work that in? Like the trivia says, this is basically the inspiration for the Wacky Races. It's set in the first decade of the 20th century. Tony Curtis plays the great Leslie, a handsome, all-white-clad daredevil, with a literal twinkle in his eye. Seriously, it's a special effect they use several times. His eye goes ding. It's very disturbing. Who delights the public with his automotive aerial and aquatic death-defying stunts. He's constantly hounded by his chief rival, the evil Professor Fate. You know he's evil because he wears black, has a mustache, and cackles a lot. Uh, Professor Fate is obviously the inspiration of Dick Dastardly. I also thought of him as the inspiration for Snidely Whiplash. Sure. And is, is played by Jack Lemon, who's doing it so over the top he can't even see the ground anymore. <laughs> Leslie decides to put on a great race from New York to Paris. Yes, they're going to drive... To Paris. Don't yes, ask. by heading west. <laughs> yes. Yeah, they're going the long way, by the way, uh, to showcase the new and rising American automotive industry. And Fate joins the race, fi- determined to finally beat the great Leslie. Joining them are Leslie's assistant Hezekiah, played by the Winter Warlock himself, Keenan Wynn, Fate's assistant, the elegantly named Max played by the delightful Peter Falk in a remarkably subdued performance Well, or yes. maybe just seems that way next to Jack Lemon and Miss Dubois an outspoken women's rights activist and budding journalist who wants to cover the race played by Natalie Wood global hijinks ensue as they drive across the American west through Alaska and through the famous country of Potsdorf we'll get to that to see who the greatest racer is yep that's pretty much the plot the Lowdown. It's amazing
0: how quickly you did it and how slowly
1: they did it. <laughs> yeah, I will. I, I Now, I, I loved this when I was a kid. I remember I saw this at summer camp. I think I was 11 years old. And, you know, it was something to do at summer camp that didn't involve boats. So I, I liked it. I didn't uh, know you had a thing about boats. I don't mind boats. It's just the summer camp was pretty tedious. Oh, Okay. And, uh, so, yeah, this, this is very much trying to be sort of like an old silent movie, but with dialogue and color and such. Well, there was this weird
0: thing going on. I think we mentioned this back in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but starting somewhere in the mid-60s, and who knows, maybe it was this film that helped usher it in, there was this whole hearkening back to old-timey stuff that would last through the early 70s, and you would actually see this like, extend beyond popular culture into things like restaurants. Um, I don't know if you remember, there was a, an ice cream store called Chadwick's. And uh, there was actually, no. I, even Bailey's, although, to be fair, Bailey's oh, actually started in the late 19th century. Won't you try a great big Bailey's Sunday? <laughs> get me my inhaler. <gasps> um, and there was, old-timey was everywhere. Uh, to be, I, I hate to point this out, but the maxi skirt came back into play in the oh, so women were wearing nice. skirts down to their to their shoelaces um, and that was a thing and you know having old timey stuff in your house you know collecting dust was a thing and restaurants and it's, it was everywhere and these days you know and even later in the 70s we were like wait let's not go back quite so far let's go back 20 years when we are doing our nostalgia that's as far as we need to go but this was a thing and, you know, some of the films we've already talked about, like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, felt very much the same way. Um, so, yeah, this was a, strangely, a thing.
1: Let's uh, talk a little bit about the performances. Shall we? Yes. <laughs> what did you think? What did you think? I, I'm i going to start. I think some of them are really good. I love Jack Lemon in this. Jack Lemon is the reason to watch this movie. He plays two characters. He plays Professor Fate through the whole movie. And in one, admittedly, Way too long segment. Oh boy! They end up in a fictional country in Europe, I guess Eastern Europe or something called Potsdorf, which is you know right this side of Potsylvania or yeah. <laughs> and there, the movie grinds to a horrible the, halt. The, the movie's transmission <laughs> drops out of the bottom and uh, just just careens to a halt. Despite a lot of fun, which is like. Jack Lemon in this plays the, the crown prince of uh, Potsdorf, who's going to be made king the day after the racers arise by a staggering co- coincidence. Only he's played by Jack Lemon, and he's played as this very foppish, very drunk, silly, giggling, over-the-top, ridiculous character. And again, you can see Jack Lemon is just having a blast. He
0: is. He's... <sighs> One could take offense and say he's doing a really bad gay impression, but it's just so funny and fun. I, I, I don't know. I couldn't take offense. I don't know. Um, I,
1: I didn't see the character as gay. Yes, he has some effeminate qualities, but mostly he's supposed to be just yes. debauched. I mean, he's supposed to be a drunken
0: child child yeah he's very childlike yes. i will definitely agree with that i wouldn't say debauched because i don't think sex has occurred to him yet. no no, not
1: sexually but he drinks uh, you know constantly yes we never see him sober in this pretty much no and the fun part is that when you,
0: the few opportunities you see professor fate next to the prince they are really except for the fact that they're played by the same person they really are two very distinctly different people and yeah. it is funny um But actually, I didn't know The Prisoner of Zenda. I wrote in my notes that we suddenly stop for The Prince and the Pauper because it's kind of the same thing there too. And honestly, you could cut out this entire section of the film, which is probably about a half an hour, and not change the plot at all. No, really,
1: it has no effect on the on the rest of the movie. It's like a little movielet where they get to show you know have have a little fun with you know Jack Lemmon playing opposite Jack Lemmon, and it's kind of fun to watch when. Basically, Professor Fate is approached to do a prisoner of Zenda saying, Look, we want you to pretend to be the prince and get crowned and then quietly appoint this other guy. And it's all the the machinations of the evil baron Artemis Gordon. I'm sorry, I forget what the actual <laughs> It's it's Ross Martin, the guy who played Artemis Gordon on Wild Wild West. And and he's <laughs> He fun. wasn't the sex crazed dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> he was not Dr. Loveless, no. Okay. <laughs> That, that would have been amazing. If yeah. they had gotten him, oh, that would be awesome. Especially the... They do it so that there could be a big shirtless sword fight. Yeah. With uh, Tony Curtis, who insists on taking off his shirt. I'm not exactly sure why. Yeah. It's not... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so if we're
0: going to talk about the performances, yeah. hey, Tony Curtis, so I, obviously Blake Edwards says, oh my God, we got Jack Lemmon, he's crazy, he's over the top, you, he totally nailed his his audition, this is going to be great. We need a fence post. Who can we find that can be bland,
1: and starched, and really, wh- I know! Now, the thing is, Tony Curtis can be hilarious. He is Where? a really good, some like it hot. He's really Uh, funny in that, especially when he's doing his Cary Grant impression. Okay. He can be really funny. I mean, he's hilarious in Spartacus, don't get me wrong. (laughs) I mean, Tony Curtis, let's face it, Tony Curtis is not an A-list actor. He's not that great. He's, He's a competent actor. And, and let's face it, he did a pretty good job of getting rid of the massively heavy Brooklyn accent he was born with. Yeah, because, you know, Tony Curtis was born Bernie Schwartz of Brooklyn. And it was fa- remember, the most famous line we always talk about in a movie I don't think either of us have ever seen. Have you ever seen no. The Black Prince? No. No. He plays some, you know, swashbuckling hero. It's got to be... Uh, it's like an Arabian Nights thing because his famous line is, say it with me, yonder lies de fa- the palace of my father the Caliph. In this heavy, and he has not lost the accent by that point. And it, no. it's mostly gone, it slips in here and there, especially when he gets upset. Uh, he, yeah. But he's, he's, he's given a kind of thankless job. He's meant to be playing an old style, you know, silent film hero you know he's he's meant to be like real valentino or some such or or douglas fairbanks and the heroes in those movies were really not very interesting they were fun to watch or fun to look at but they're boring he is meant to have a personality
0: (laughs) he is (laughs) yeah i think he could he could have played it i mean heck he could have been even more like peter perfect right even like more so he could have over well no no tony curtis couldn't but the character could have been even more i'll save
1: you nell yeah that's dudley true. he Durite. could have been more dudley dorightish or a little more exaggerated what does come, what he ends up doing is he's a cipher he really has almost no personality his whole personality no. is he's a gentleman and he and every he's always spotless i think once yeah. He gets hit with a pie. That's about it. He's, he's, he's
0: playing very, very white. Yeah. And in that case, he does very, very well because Tony Curtis is very... White, yes, um, he is. and and speaking of white, who uh, doesn't get much whiter than this film? Because I'm willing to bet that there's not a single one of the quote unquote Indians, who to be fair aren't even supposed to really be Indians, uh, is played by the Native American. Yeah, they're, they're
1: actually th- meant to be white people that are dressed up like Indians. Uh, I actually kind of like that. That sort of subverted the expectation because at one point they're traveling into Baracho. And they're attacked by a band of Indians, complete with the you know dun 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 dun, dun music yeah. and feathers and whoos, and we're all we're both sitting there going, oh god, oh this is uncomfortable. And then it turns out, oh no, those are just some of the town folk. They're playing that way just to to welcome you. It was just It was a joke. Like, yeah, and then oh. straight...
0: Strangely, right after that, we get this
1: sexy, sexy dance scene in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah, would, okay. This, uh, th- yeah, we. There's. We'll get to that. Let's. We'll talk about the various parts of the movie, the the scenes that grind it to a halt later. I want to keep talking about the character because then we get to Natalie Wood as Miss Dubois. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what we're supposed to think of this character. How are we supposed? Me either. To, because okay, first of all, it's Natalie Wood, and speaking from my perspective, I I just like watching Natalie Wood because Natalie Wood is freaking gorgeous. She is a beautiful I, woman, but and she can be as if you as we know from West Side Story and Splendor in the Grass. She's a good actor. Not here so much. Well, here she's she's given a very two dimensional character. She's supposed to be not just a suffragette, but a really kind of nasty um caricature of yeah, a women's I, rights activist. It's actually kind of kind of mean because it makes it seem like this humorless. Angry, shrill, harpy. Yeah,
0: and they could have made it even worse by casting somebody who was visibly not attractive To just to point out, look, suffragettes are ugly or something like that. That's about the only thing they didn't do to make this character unappealing. But she is shrill. She's really unpleasant. Um, It's obvious that there's supposed to be an eventual... Love interest between her and Tony Curtis's character, which is very shoehorned, but also they're playing the whole suffragette thing for comedy. Which I wonder how that was received, even in 1965. Because I tell you right now, I didn't. I was not receiving it real well myself.
1: Yeah, this was the beginning um, of the women's rights movement's era. I mean, we, yeah, like just starting, just starting to hit there, yeah. and yeah, and, th- this and this is clearly making fun of that. I mean, their clever chant is, we want jobs, and the, the, the jokes are the women are smoking cigars. And yet, uh, Miss Dubois' character underplays that all the time by expecting to extra help, expecting to be rescued by the men. She has very little agency. Most of what she does is manipulation yeah. or, or lying.
0: And when she does it and it succeeds, she points a finger and goes, see...
1: Typical men. Typical. Yeah.
0: Well, but you just play that. You, the, that's the card you just gave me. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> so. It's, it's really.
1: She's it's, a problematic character.
0: And I and I don't. I'm not quite sure what the reasoning was for making her that character because they want, you know, the damsel in distress, and they want the suffragette, but they want them in the same person,
1: and it it kind of doesn't work. Um, Yeah, it's awkward. You would think she would be much more into saving herself or figuring out her own solutions. A lot of the time what she does is sit around and wait for somebody to show up and help her. Yeah, she starts off in her own car. Why? She
0: picks a Stanley Steamer. It's like, hey, we're going to drive across a desert. I'm sure to find some water there. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, that's the first thing that happens. She runs out of water. And then she's not driving anymore because she has to be in a car with Tony Curtis and be the love interest. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I... I don't know enough about her as an actress. I know she's very well regarded, so I can't tell if a lot of her performance is Blake
1: Edwards' fault, which wouldn't really surprise me that I much. think it kind of is. I mean, he, he, tended, but, he had a kind of George Lucas quality of really deciding how he wanted the actors to behave.
0: And it sometimes it succeeds and sometimes it doesn't. Um, I never saw 10, but it was very well-received when it came out. Um, I certainly enjoyed at least the first couple Pink Panther movies. Those are actually fun. Of course, it's it's yeah. um, Peter Sellers. You, you almost can't go bet, wrong with Peter Sellers, although I think there's at least one Fu Manchu. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> those yeah. who
0: don't know, Fu Manchu... Oh, oh. no, no. Nope, no, I'm not going to explain it. Blood, Look it up. No, yeah. It, it does, <laughs> it's
1: not worth it. No. Yeah, there's also... Blake Edwards di- uh, directed a movie that I believe you actively refused to see, which was S.O.B. Isn't that the one with Julie Andrews flashing yes, her yummy Flashing her chim chim at the camera, yes. Well, they're married, so that's, that's his wife. And I just, like,
0: there's certain people, it's like, nope, Julie Andrews does not have breasts. I'm sorry, <laughs> she's too pure,
1: there's nothing uh-huh. sexual
0: about her. No, no, oh, no, dear. no. Yeah, I don't no. think she'd
1: appreciate that.
0: I'm sure she wouldn't, but I just, like, I can't do this. I can't watch... This, yeah. And for all I know, the movie's hilarious. I've never seen it. But um, anyway, back to this film. So the the characters, Peter Falk is fine. Um, I think that he was, and sadly, very wisely said, there is no way I'm competing with this, pointing to Jack Lemmon. Um, And Peter Falk can be a lot of fun. Um, He's probably best known for Columbo, a role that he originated and then eventually basically owned. Like It was his production company making that show. He was a lot of fun in a movie called Murder by Death, where he's kind of playing a funny version. He's supposed to be uh, uh, Sam Spade, but um, Sam Diamond, yeah, Sam, yeah. But it's really just sort of a funnier version of Columbo, kind
1: of. Um, And he's he's funny in The Cheap Detective, which well, I'll have to take your word for it because I can't see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but he he plays plays a stooge very much.
0: Yeah, he plays a stooge and he does it fine. Um, And mm -hmm. the the other people in the film, Keenan Wynn is really not given a lot to do. He too is a Keenan Wynn can be a hoot, and he's wisely a background character who actually gets shoved off into the background, literally uh, through a big chunk of the film. Um, It's Jack Lemmon's film. Let's face it; it's Jack Lemmon's film. He gets two characters, and as you said, he's over the top and he's
1: hilarious in both of them. My favorite, one of my favorite film moments, is in the last scene. And spoiler here, basically they they get to Paris. Technically, Leslie is about to win the race. He's way ahead, but he stops at the finish line to have an argument with Miss Dubois and and declare that, for reasons passing understanding, he's in love with her. Yeah, I, yeah, which which I'm sorry, kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, well, the chemistry there is... um, Not. Oil and
0: chalk. There you go. Yeah, (laughs) kind of. So he stops at the
1: finish line, Fate drives across, and at first he's like, I won! I finally beat the great Leslie! And then he realizes it hits him, and that, I'm sorry, this is a really oddly subtle moment for an over-the-top character, and you see it on Professor Fate's face as he realizes... He hasn't really won. Leslie let him win, and he can't stand it. And this is the only time we get any look. I mean, Professor Fate. All of these characters are cartoonish. They're cartoon characters. Oh yes. And Professor Fate. His gimmicks. He always trying to drop bombs on Leslie or blow things up. It's you think everything he uses might as well have the word Acme stamped on the side. Yes. But in this, he's like he's going. I won. I won. And Max says, Yes, yes, we won. We won. He's like. I didn't win. I didn't win. And Max doesn't understand. And he runs over, throws himself on the hood of Leslie's car, and begins screaming at him. And he has one of my favorite little, I don't even call it a monologue. It's basically one long sentence. He's going, you, you, your hair is always combed. Your suit is always white. Your car is always clean. You, I hate. I can't win your way. I have to win my way. It's great. That's why he hates him because he's too clean and too too perfect. Yeah. And then he challenges him to a race back across the country and back to New York and that's how the movie ends. And I I love that moment. I love the way cuz that's when what little abandon he had left, he throws away. <laughs> it's like that's it and just is foaming at the mouth and practically chewing on the car. And it cracks me up every time. Do you think it was a sequel, Beg? I, oh, absolutely not.
0: No, okay. it wasn't
1: supposed... I don't think it was.
0: They didn't do that much back then. There weren't really... Except no. for things like the Bond franchise. No, but.
1: something... You went into it knowing it was going to be a franchise, and it was usually, like, literally a series of books or something that was an already existing franchise. Yeah. Hey, every, you got uh, everyone
0: listening, do you remember when you used to go see a film and it had a beginning, a middle, and an end, and then you could leave and you didn't have
1: to ever visit that again? Yeah, yeah that's that's gone. That's pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much gone. And you don't have to sit to the end credits to see the little thing at the end or anything Yeah, else. Yeah. Look at
0: the program or whatever. Yeah, um, it is a cartoon. This would not be the last... Attempt at making a cartoon into live action. I'm sure you may remember Max, a little film called "The Villain" with Uh-oh. Kirk Douglas and Arnold uh. Schwarzenegger.
1: Yeah, and I what was it? Isn't like uh, what the hell was Schwarzenegger's character's name? It was like mysterious stranger or handsome stranger. That handsome was
0: stranger. It. Yeah. And I
1: think uh, Kirk Douglas's character's name was the villain. Right, that wasn't it yet.
0: And they literally do all of the stuff from Warner Brothers cartoons. They do them live, including the, I'm going to paint the tunnel on the side of the cliff, and there goes Arnold right through it. How come I can't? I'm going to go through too, and smacking into the wall. Sure, they did variants of
1: that. Gene Wilder did The World's Greatest Lover, which was basically he was trying to be real Valentino. I think it's fair to say, though, that The Great Race... Despite
0: its many flaws, was more successful than the villain. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, Noticed. I mean, there was a comedy pairing that I I still am just like Kirk Douglas and Arnold (laughs) Schwarzenegger. Yeah, both known for
1: their comic genius. (laughs)
0: Because, you know, I'm very good at comedy. A lot of people don't know I can make you laugh.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. It's like I can do the jokes and the puns and the things of that nature. But my
0: humor is very serious. You should listen.
1: It is very nuanced. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because let's face it, if you want humor, you go to Austria. <laughs>
0: actually I'm now dying to see Arnold do a stand-up routine oh.
1: <laughs> have you I ever don't to tell you yeah <laughs> have you noticed I've... at some point Austrians be walking like this and Germans <laughs> be walking like this I am curious as to what is up with that
0: what is up do you know I don't you know, know. <laughs>
1: Frauleins be shopping. <laughs>
0: So, you know, there are so many million dollar ideas that we have given away on this show and here's another one, you know, sad. We're not going to get any kickback for that. I mean, Arnold, he
1: has done comedy, sort of. I mean, Kindergarten Cop was kind of a funny role.
0: I honestly think that when he does "quote unquote" comedy, somebody puts him in a funny suit of some sort. They shove him in front of the camera and hold up a card, like, <laughs> I,
1: it's
0: like it's like. Well, we can't expect too much. But, you know, <laughs> if he stands there in the funny suit,
1: maybe that'll work.
0: Um, yeah, kindergarten cop. I was glad I should have gotten the award.
1: Yeah. One of the um, surprising things about this movie to me is the scale it works on. I mean, it's all. It, they actually they went to the the uh, the West, the American West, which I guess when you're in Hollywood, isn't that big a deal? They <laughs> filmed just a left. <laughs> they filmed in Europe. They they the, well, they filmed on a sound stage for uh, yeah. Alaska. But it, it's it. I think the movie gives you a nice sense of just how big, how large scale this is. It is a very worldwide film.
0: Um, uh, the pro- one of the problems I have though is that they eliminate all the other competition in the first
1: five that's, minutes of the uh, actual race. That is a little race. annoying. We only know of three racers: Fate, Leslie, and Miss Dubois, who starts out in her own car, which breaks down in five minutes. But Fate sabotages all the other racers. None <laughs> well, of to be whom... fair. Huh? To be fair Max sabotages oh, them, and me. one of them is their own car. <laughs> yes, that's right. right. You just wait, number five. All the wheels are going to fall off. <laughs> Max yeah yeah we are number five oh. wah, 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 wah. again right out of a cartoon because of course it immediately after the, the the laugh take it falls apart for people who haven't
0: seen this and I'm guessing that's most people if you want to think of the character Max think of Ned Beatty in the original 78 Superman that's <laughs> about the, the same characters uh, deadly yeah yeah
1: he, yeah, Mr. Parker has her own city I have to admit one of the reasons I was so fond of this movie As a kid was it was one of the only movies Apart from Yellow Submarine That had a character named Max And you have tried to live up to this character I since. have, I have <laughs> And by the way the phrase that Professor Fate Uses over and over again Push the button Max yeah. Is what they're, making, they're paying tribute to that In Mystery Science Theater 3000 With push the button Frank And eventually push the button Max Right Right for the the newest uh, season, yeah, 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 the one with yeah, Pat Oswald as Max. So
0: really, the whole film, once it gets going, which does take a little while, is about a race between good and evil, or really white and um, a different white. And the, <laughs> yeah, and then, and we, That's and a- we stop. We stop. Yeah, yeah, that is a problem because. Quite honestly, I'd rather Professor Fate (laughs) (laughs) won.
1: Yeah, he's way more fun and more interesting. That's the other thing. The conflict is sort of odd. Professor Fate isn't like trying to take over the world. He's not trying to rob banks. He just wants to beat Leslie. He wants to be adored. He wants to be uh, a famous daredevil. He wants exactly what Leslie wants, only, of course, because he's who he is, he doesn't want to get it fair and square. He wants to cheat. He wants, you know what he wants to be? He wants to be a top level YouTuber
0: before yeah. there was such a thing. That's he wants he to be wants. an
1: influencer, yes. He wants he's PewDiePie or, you know, whatever. <laughs> God. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, as such, the conflict is very low key. Right. Especially since you're not really rooting for Leslie.
0: There's like never a moment where, like, he's supposed to be Randolph Scott. He's supposed to be that hero. And. He's just sort of a fence post and
1: it's like and, it's not like he does anything good. He's just good at what he does and what right? is he what is his motivation for this race? He's just wants to win and wants to show off how good American cars are. He's not like trying to save an orphanage or trying no. to win prize money to donate to charity. He just wants to win so he's he's not particularly heroic.
0: No, and I think if they had added something like that, like maybe he had been an orphan and now he's doing this because what they do is the car company wants him to do it so they name the car after him, it's yeah. the Leslie Special. Yeah. And it's like, well, okay, so I'm doing this so that my car won't look bad. I mean, <laughs> it's not exactly motivation not really, really, so. Really no. If they had added something like that, oh, you know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to d- d- raise some funds for the orphanage that I came from. You know, <laughs> if Oh bye bye over by the palace of my father <laughs> to Caliph. Yeah, if Bernie had done that, <laughs> then I think it would have added at least something. And then you could also boo and hiss Professor Fate because he's trying to get the money for himself and take it, it away from the mouths of orphans, or perhaps all the people in one of the films we most recently reviewed, which was Oliver. Uh, you know, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. So, so there, there is a lack of real motivation and a lack of conflict here? It's just yeah. one cartoon good guy against a cartoon bad guy? It's a,
1: I mean, it is a cartoon, so you don't really need there to be earth-shattering stakes, but it'd be not, it's hard to get terribly invested in it when it doesn't really matter who wins.
0: No, And, and, and it that's... should,
1: even in a comedy, it should matter on some level who wins. I mean, even if one is trying to prove something serious to himself or his family or something, but... No, yeah. this is just, we're doing this because that's what we do, because that's the definition of their characters. They have no, right. they have no other uh, nature. They're very two-dimensional. Again, not necessarily a bad thing. So no. then we come to, like, what are the problems with this movie? Apart from, you know, Miss Dubois' character. Well, and, let's and, talk about the one that
0: you keep saying we're going to get to, and uh, one of them is Pottsylvania,
1: or whatever it's <laughs> <Pot-Stark, the heck. laughs> Yeah, that. yeah. Actually, that and the Western segment, which I think is admittedly more fun and doesn't last as long. It also, to be fair, is kind
0: of on the way. I mean, Potsylvania is not only made up, but Potsdorf, I yeah, know. Yeah. But it's like, I honestly think that there was another script somewhere yeah. that like another film that that uh, Blake Edwards wanted to make. And he's like, well, you know, I could probably shoehorn this in. Yeah, this is like the, a
1: whole mini movie. It's like a side
0: quest. Is. I mean, except for the old-timey part of it, the entire tone of the, the film
1: changes because, oh, hey, we're not racing anymore. And, and now- there are real stakes now. This is like the government of an entire country is at stake here.
0: Yeah, and we're in it, I mean, what's going to happen? Is Professor Fate now going to stay and be the puppet dictator? No, no,
1: they say um, he's going to quietly step back oh, and, please. And, and, uh, the, and abdicate, and then he'll go on his way. Uh, honestly, this would have made it a more interesting movie. It's like, what would he do? Would he try to actually be king, and then he'd be in conflict with the guy who put him there? And yeah, it, it, it's it throws everything off. It cha- it it derails the plot on multiple levels. Uh, it's like they drove. They they said, "Hey, we've got this set. Let's use it."
0: They literally drive into another movie and then like stop for gas. <laughs> Yeah, I, and it's it's you know at the pie sequence okay, and to be fair, Jack uh, Lemon's performance as the prince is really good. But you seriously could cut off right when they they land in close to Russia and pick up
1: later, at, like when they're close yeah, to. Yeah, we would have lost not nothing. Lose. No,
0: nothing except
1: it, it that is, performance <clears throat> in the pie fight. Although I do love Ross Martin's exit line when he and Leslie are in the in the tower. And they're sword fighting, because of course Leslie is a master sword fighter And for some reason, the only weapons they have Lying around are fencing foils And fencing sabers <laughs> Which do, which qualify more as car antennas Than weapons uh, Leslie has clearly Outmatched him, so he leaps to the window And goes, I would stay, but I have a boat Waiting, and does a beautiful swan dive Out the window, right into The rowboat <laughs> yeah. I mean, literally, crash, boom I have to say that's a funny moment. Again, not necessary at all to the movie because this is a character we've had introduced 10 minutes ago.
0: Or 20 or 30. That
1: brings up, I mean, that whole thing is is an issue with the movie. The pacing. Yeah. This movie (laughs) is... For a race film, it's awfully slow. It really is. (laughs) And as I said, this was the longest comedy ever made and it feels like it. And comedies cannot be long. This is one of the rules of it. Brevity is the soul of wit. There's a reason that's a cliche. It's true. Yeah. It, most comedies rarely go over about 100 minutes. They they have to be quick and punchy and you get in, you do the joke, you get out. This, yeah. this movie, despite having, I think, some really funny and a lot of fun elements, it's too long. It's just too much and it slows down drastically at a number of points. Yeah.
0: Um, it's, it's also a film because of this resurgence of old timiness and the fact that it's made in the sixties and, in doesn't particularly really focus on either of those two time periods very well. Um, I think it's one of the reasons that this film is pretty much, I don't want to say it's a lost film, but no, I, no, it's I not lost. Little, it's still well known. It's a very popular, oh. it's fairly popular, especially as a kid's film. I'd be amazed to find out that it's still being shown anywhere, and I bet I could not I would have a hard time finding anyone under thirty who's even heard of it so i, I I'm gonna disagree on that part, but it tries to be a cartoon, and in moments, it's very good at that, but the problem is, is those moments are so childlike. I won't be mean and say childish, but I'll say childlike that they kind of clash with the rest of the film where we're talking about things like suffragettes and women's rights. And it's like, well, didn't you just have a giant missile with a big target on it and a skull and crossbones yeah. and a dirigible? Uh, why are we talking about this? I don't understand. So the the, the tone is, is... It's a mixed message visually yeah. and... And, and for something that's so
1: innocent and cartoonish, there's some rather or I wouldn't say heavy, but noticeable sexual overtones. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the so-called chemistry between Leslie and Miss Dubois, I mean, she ends up at one point just wrapped in a sheet around them. We see her in her underwear a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, she. Ta- uh, there's that whole sequence on the ice floe where they're huddling together and fate is making all these snide comments about the war between the sexes.
0: Don't they all four get together under a blanket? Yeah, that's actually
1: car? a little kinky. They, they end up to keep warm. They're all huddling in the car under a blanket all together. Miss Dubois occasionally making these little squeals as somebody's hand gets in the wrong place or the right place, depending. It's oh. a surprisingly adult segment, segment although I, I can tell you as a kid that went right over my head. Yeah, for the 60s, even, and especially for
0: today, it's pretty tame. Uh, because eventually, you know, the sensor, I mean, a polar bear shows up and they have <laughs> to stop all their, an actual polar bear. I was a little surprised they got an actual polar bear. Yeah, was but really you, can a see, guy a suit.
1: you can see the green screen effect pretty obviously.
0: Oh, uh, the polar bear never came near them, you know, but that's But they fine. did use
1: a real bear, that's true. Yes, it, yeah.
0: Was, it was, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I hope it's still getting points. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, those that's are the big problems with the film. Uh, mm. There's there's two films, the pacing for for a race film. There's also very little footage of them actually racing.
1: There is like surprisingly the little driving, and what you see, I mean, these are cars from the turn of the century, so they're not exactly going along at 120 miles an hour. It's yeah, we're so, not talking Ford versus Ferrari here. No, you know. <laughs> <laughs> more like, <laughs> it's more like Raleigh versus Schwinn. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, as, like you,
1: as you point out, Miss Dubois' car is the legendary Stanley Steamer. This yeah. was a steam-powered car, which I do not even want to guess what its top speed was. Uh, they're actually very fast. Really? Really? Yes. Uh, I was
0: watching some of Jay Leno's stuff and he has a couple of steam driven cars and it takes a bit to get it up and going because of course you have to wait till the water boils. (laughs) But once it goes, that thing goes, it goes. And he's like, apparently the the mechanism is fairly simple. So it's, it's fairly easy to repair. Um, It's just, you've got a literal fire underneath (laughs) this giant tank in this car so you're producing steam and of course everything's under incredible pressure which is why it works but that thing goes so that's not a problem the problem of course is that you know water yeah um, you know you can't it's like you like the tank is it you don't have extra water yeah. and you know blah 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 but um yeah that's not a big problem there but it, again you just, i don't think that they're they're um the distance they could travel was all that great.
1: I know. did what that does bring up something about the cars I wanted to mention. It was in the trivia, but it didn't really lend itself. Uh, the Leslie Special is what Leslie drives, and the for some reason, Fate is driving the Hannibal Eight.
0: Now, the, the the Leslie Special was it an actual? Was it a Cadillac?
1: The Leslie Special was designed and built by the studio using oh. parts from a bunch of different cars. Okay. The Hannibal Eight. Was oh that that fate drove, which was pretty much a clown car. <laughs> it was it was powered by a Corvair six cylinder engine and three speed transmission. Six Hannibal Eight cars were built for the movie at a cost of about a hundred and fifty thousand dollars each. Well, they do that things, had, yeah. And each of the three had the lazy tongs lifting mechanism. That it was oh so fra- so fragile that it kept breaking because one of the one of the mag- the magic powers of the car. I mean the, the car. It, it's like the poor man's James Bond car. It has, a, like it says, it's called the lazy tongs that lifts the, I don't know, what, what would you call the passenger the chassis The chassis, the chassis. Yep. like six feet up above the
0: wheels. Oh, it's higher than that. It's much more like 10 feet, because like, yeah, okay. he falls out of it at one point and like
1: nearly kills himself. Mm-hmm. It also has a heated nose cone, and it has, my favorite, it has a small cannon, a literal, <laughs> like, ship's cannon mounted in the front. Yeah, which somehow when they shoot it doesn't send the car backwards. At yes, all, but whatever. yes, I, yeah. The, the, you can't look at the at uh, physics in this movie at all. No, I want to say that the Hannibals six was it yeah uh, eight
0: yeah. hannibal eight was my entry point as a child into this film because that car's like oh my look at that car it's so cool it does stuff like chitty chitty bang bang yeah like the db5 so i and they didn't make a toy of it that i know of i never saw anything connected i with don't this film. i never heard
1: of one but, yeah. but i
0: think that that's honestly the reason i watched this film as a child is like and i don't know that i actually sat and watched the whole thing uh be, but i think that that the car was why i watched it at all um But uh, we are getting
1: towards that time. So what other things do you want to get to before we uh, we wrap up? That pretty much covers it. I just would like to do the wrap up. I'd like to talk about uh, how it holds up.
0: The Roundup.
1: So, Um, how does it hold up? Well, again, I really (laughs) like this as a kid. I don't think it holds up very well, but I don't think it's a complete failure either. I, I... Still find parts of it. I find Jack Lemmon hilarious. Anything with him and Peter Falk is worth the movie. Sadly, though, I think all told there may be what twenty-five, thirty minutes of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I still it still cracks me up in the Western town when he's trying to pretend he's a cowboy and he's going around calling, saying to people, "Say there, Mister Podner." <laughs> that still makes me laugh. And, and as I say, the his, his screaming at Leslie at the end and his bit as the Prince of Potsdorf, I think Jack Lemon is worth watching the movie for. That being said, as an adult, or as, even these days, I don't know if a kid would have the attention span for a movie this long and this mm. slow. I, I think... Uh, I, I don't think it holds up terribly well. I still think it's fun, but I can't... It's not like Yellow Submarine. It doesn't... Uh, I don't go. Yeah, I could still see watching this. What about you? What do you think? I'm in the same boat. Uh, I, I don't think I, a, a
0: modern child would get through the credits. <laughs> I really don't. No, and that's not like saying, "Oh my god, these are the worst credits ever." It's like they're slow. They're they're done in uh, a sort of a artsy animation sort of thing, but it's it's an old timey style that I think was not. The colors aren't really bright. They're actually kind of drabish Um, because towards the end of the 60s, films are going to start desaturating color, which is a whole other thing. Um, But there's nothing to grab you right from the beginning. This is a long, shaggy dog, and it's not a particularly good one. Jack... I keep saying Nicholson. Jack (laughs) Lemmon is a lot of fun, and he really threw himself into it. I think that um, Peter Falk throws himself into it. I think Natalie Wood throws herself into it. I just don't think she's very well directed, and I don't think it's a very good part um but but she really is like her energy level is high it's just not written
1: very well and, and it's I think Tony Curtis does what he was expected to do <laughs> good old Bernie yeah he uh... was supposed to basically he was supposed to be a, a a clothes rack for those white outfits he was supposed to look good yeah. and and look like an old cartoon hero and i think he pulled that off It's just that was about it
0: and i think that the this film is is very much an exercise in looking at how memory works, and this this sounds like kind of huh? scientific. I, well, I, so we remember these things until I watched this again. I hadn't seen this probably since the early seventies, and I didn't see it when it came out. It was it came out the year I was born, um, but it was it would show up on Sunday afternoon at the movies and stuff like that, and that's how I would see it. Um, and my memory of it is that I really liked this film, and it was fun, and it was funny, and it was you know about racing and all this stuff. And probably, if I want to really dissect the likelihood of my memory, what happened was the movie was on in the living room, I saw the parts with the cars, and then, when it wasn't fun anymore, I ran outside and played. So, you know, memory, when you actually come face to face with it, is a very different thing than it can, it actually really was. Like last week, er, we talked about Captain Nemo, and I remember that ladle spinning in front of The underwater city. Well, it doesn't. But I remember that. It turns out it was wrong. Mm. So one of the kind of fun things for me with this series has been... You know, did this movie hold up since I haven't seen it in 40 years, you know, and how did it hold up? How did I see it as a child? How have I it? How does it
1: match the memory of your seeing it, which is different than what it actually was? That's a good point. Because to me, I remember seeing it in a little, in a cabin with a whole bunch of other campers at age 11. In
0: a cabin in the wood? A little old man by the window? Yeah, and
1: there was this rabbit hopping by and then
0: someone shot it. (laughs) And knocks, <laughs> that's not how it ends. It is. Nobody shoots little bunny foo foo. No! 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 You don't shoot little bunny foo foo. I could have sworn he got shot. Okay. No! He, he, no, he's like, uh, he he knocks at the door and, come little rabbit, come inside safely. We will hide. Oh, There's and no then he shooting. shoots him. No! You're a horrible man. You're a horrible man. You're Matt's destroying summer camp for kids. No. No. <laughs> Anyway, so you remember seeing it in a, in a cabin. and
1: Yeah, crazy. yeah. And uh, just, you know, a lot of 11 you know, year old kids laughing and, of course, giggling at Natalie Wood in her underwear and yeah. going, Well, this makes me feel funny. And I'm sure some of the kids in the cabin were watching Tony Curtis without his shirt and going, This makes me feel funny.
0: <laughs> really? Not? No, no, no. It's been maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, I think it's safe to say that if you have not seen The Great Race, don't.
1: Well. Uh, I honestly see it, but fast forward through some of it. Just just watch Jack Lemon.
0: Anytime there's like vistas, backdrop, just skip right through that. Yeah. <laughs> and wait until people are closer to the camera. <laughs> but
1: uh, speaking uh, of closer to the camera, I, uh, that was that, one of uh, the worst segues ever. <laughs> Mike Luce, master of the ham-handed segway. But uh, I think I see where you're going. So, Mike, it, it's your choice for next week. What are we watching next week, Pinky? I want all the ham. Um uh, <laughs> So next you, you, week, we are going to go to... Jack
0: Lemon has it all. Uh, yes, he does. Um, and it is well-smoked and honey-baked. Yep. Mm. Next week, we are going into another film that I adored as a child. And to be fair, this is a film that I have seen since I own a copy of it, so it's not as big a turnback for me, but it still fits the criteria. Um, it is the 1960 version of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. So we are going... Time. Time. <laughs> Back in Sorry, time. Sorry, fellas, you're, you're too darn loud. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Huey Lewis is in this. No, he's he's very much not. Okay, now this film was remade in I think mm. the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, Guy, with, Guy Pierce was in it. Yep. Yes, he was, and it was yet again not a particularly faithful adaptation <laughs> of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Oh, oh wasn't uh,
1: Jeremy Irons the villain,
0: the head Morlock? I think you're thinking of Scar, and that's the Lion King. <laughs> it's it's no. possible. No, to be fair, you might you might actually be right. I don't remember. That was it was a fairly
1: forgettable version of and, the film. And which, which version do they shoot the little bunny? There is
0: no <laughs> little bunny in the time machine, and oh. it does not get shot. I, I, okay. But next week we will be shooting Max <laughs> in our episode on the time machine. So join us then
1: and oh. wait for the explosion. But 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 I'm a bunny.
0: Fired! <laughs> <laughs> Max Mike Movies is a co production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. I am Spartacus! <laughs>